the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. I saw this come across my Twitter feed yesterday. Okay. And just trying to get our minds around it. And then I watched a long thing on the Today Show about it this morning. And that is, did you follow these kidnappings down okay. in uh, in yes. Haiti. Yes. So uh, 17 missionaries from a U.S.-based organization, a mission organization called Christian Aid Ministries out of Ohio, uh, there was a kidnapping, and that was 16 U.S. citizens, one Canadian, five of them were children, seven women, five men. As far as I know, they're still waiting on the um, the ransom mm-hmm. demands. And then I watched the Today Show this morning. Uh, they were working at an orphanage, and they were coming out of there, and uh, on the Today Show today, they said this is what's happening in Haiti all the time now since the assassination of their president, wow. followed by the earthquake. Wow. Like, it is just th- one of the problems with this kidnapping is they don't know who to go to uh, law enforcement wise to try mm. to deal with this. But Aubrey, this struck me hard mm. when I read this because, you know, a lot of people could be like, what is it? What are these people doing right. as missionaries right. going to Haiti? But we've all done it. Absolutely. Like we've all gone and served for a week, a month, a year. I mean, yes. you and Kevin did a year in yes. Africa. Yes. We've all done. I took my family to very, uh, you know, not the best area of Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. We did these in youth ministry mm-hmm. all time. So I didn't feel myself going, what are they doing? I right. found myself going, oh, my gosh, like, no. that's so sad. It's so what so did you think when you first scary. saw this? You know, it's interesting. I have a friend who spends a lot of time in DR, and he's been telling me this. that There are more and more of these kidnappings yeah. happening in Haiti, and um, Haiti and DR are close to each other, which is That's why right. he knows about this. And so he's been even asking, hey, when we go into places, for instance, orphanages, should we have security? And what the or- missions organizations have always said is, you know, the problem is when you're working around kids, if there was an accidental, like, gun going off from your security guard— around a child around an orphanage like that is not safe that is not okay there's a lot of problems that could come from that so they haven't done it but you hear more and more of these stories and you're thinking oh well what would have happened i mean it might have been terrible honestly if they would have had some type of gunfight or whatever but anyway the point is your heart breaks and that it's adults and kids and i mean Praying, praying, praying that they're set free, praying that whatever this ransom is, that their lives aren't taken or hurt. This is obviously so traumatic. But I mean, the hard part is, is I feel like as Christians, this is our call, like to go and share the gospel in other places. And they were clearly going to help out in an orphanage. And I'm sure this group has been going to that same place for a while. But this is just absolutely devastating. So to give you some context of what's been going on in Haiti, uh, at least 328 kidnappings were reported to Haiti's national police in the first eight months of 2021. Mm. That compares 
to 234 for all of 2020. Mm. Uh, there have been uh, there was a famously or not famously, but a well-known one by the same organization that most people think did this one where they uh, kidnapped five uh, Catholic priests, two nuns and uh, held them. Uh. So this is a really, really big deal. Aubrey, you touched on it. You and I are pastors. We've gone mm-hmm. on many mission trips right there. Uh, like I said, you went to where in Africa? Zambia. Zambia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent some time a week in Rwanda, you know, Costa Rica, and we've done these with youth ministry as well. Should we be rethinking only over safety? I know there's other conversations about how is missions done best. Of course. But taking that off the table just off of safety reasons, Mm -hmm. do you think this is something that the American church and doing these sorts of trips and these sort of uh, being in these more dangerous areas, is this something we need to rethink? Look, this is going to be Easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I recognize that even as I'm about to say it out loud. Um, the call for the Christian is not a call to safety. It's not a call to comfort. It is a call to come and die. And it is a call to live a cruciform life. It is a call to spread the gospel. And so if the Lord is calling you to Haiti, if the Lord mm-hmm. is calling you to any part of the world to go serve there, um, and you're sure of that and your community affirms that, mm-hmm. that I think safety, like you want to take as safe, cautious measures as you possibly can. We do that in our day-to-day lives. We put seatbelts on. We, you know, we take care of ourselves. Um, that can't be the ultimate reason not to, if mm-hmm. God is calling you. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I am saying this knowing, woo, if this was like me and my kids, yeah. I'd have a hard time being like, oh yeah, we're going to Haiti today. Yeah. But if the Lord called us there, you know, I'd sure have to be willing to go no matter the cost. I think what it raises for me is especially short term trips. Like it's one thing to say, hey, my life is going to be given to the Haitians or I'm going to go there for five years or whatever. These kind of short term trips that a lot of churches do. My churches have done. We've done Uh them as youth ministry where you're going to go for a week, 10 days. Mm -hmm. Like don't treat them with uh, with like kind of like this is a mission trip slash a trip, a fun trip. Like like Listen to the locals. Yes. Be with an organization yes. you trust. And if there's any danger, especially with students, probably pull out. But I do think you say something really important is there uh, safety has never been promised to us. Right. And so, you know, if this mm-hmm. is where God is calling you and this is where your heart is burdened, then go. I think for the rest of us right now, we need to be praying Absolutely. for this, these uh, people in Haiti. Uh, because this is a sad and big deal. Hopefully it gets resolved quickly and safely. Uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this story. Well, Aubrey, something happened across uh, 300 churches across the state of Virginia yesterday Mm. that should cause us to raise an eyebrow. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Here's something that happened in Virginia churches uh, between this past Sunday and November the 2nd. And it's this. Uh, More than 300 African-American churches across Virginia are going to hear uh, a videotaped message from Vice President Kamala Harris uh, urging people to not only get out to vote, but really an outreach effort aimed to boost uh, Democratic governor candidate uh, Terry McAuliffe. Hmm. And so hmm. basically in these um, churches, they're going to see this pre-produced video. Uh, and you and I were talking about this going, OK, that feels weird. I do know yeah. the African-American church has a history 
um, kind of painting with a broad brush, more kind of having like people in. Yeah, being politically, uh, politically active. active. Absolutely. That's but true. With that said, Aubrey, I always t- turn it to you to tell me what do you think. I'm going to tell you what I think first. Okay, I'm going to take you, you off that. the hook. I really appreciate that. But then I'm going to let you uh, agree okay. or disagree. Just the same way that you and I and many others decried what has become known as Christian nationalism yeah. uh, on the right. So we talked a lot over the past year about the church's meshing itself, particularly with uh, former President Trump and the damage that does to churches mm-hmm. and the, necessi- the the need to separate uh, churches from not just politics, but from specific political parties and specific political candidates. Yes. That that needs to be separate, that that can't happen. And we spoke often uh, to our own detriment at times from people that we know and love yep. uh, about our uh, how much we were uncomfortable. And it bothered us that so many people around us, including churches and church leaders, were so closely tied to President Trump yeah. in ways that felt like people were saying, go vote for him. Yeah. This is the yeah. only godly thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, if people out there were going we're gonna to decry Christian nationalism on one side, it needs to be decried on the other side. Yep. And that's what this feels like here, Aubrey. This is now the other side of the aisle using churches mm-hmm. to, in this play here, to uh, as an outreach effort to boost a candidate. I do not know why churches would be okay. Right. With showing this video and having it, there's other stuff. There's this whole or there's this whole outreach here called Souls to the Polls that is uh, call it. They're, they're literally setting up outreaches, and I know part of it's voter registration. Sure. Part of it's just, but we know when Kamala Harris is there talking to people in Virginia, who she's asking them to vote for, right? And I can't get my mind around why any church, let alone more than three hundred churches. Uh, would ever think this is a good idea. Now, uh, if you're a pastor out there and you want to tell people who you're voting for, by all means, yeah, that's your it. call. I don't choose to do that, but that's your call. But this is happening during the worship service, Aubrey, and I just don't think that can happen the same way I don't think that we should be singing the national anthem and right, during right, the service right, and waving right, flags right. and having political candidates. I right. think we have to do better than this. Yeah, this is not the this is not what a worship service is for. And I think you're exactly right, Brian. And I think this is a I feel like this is a moment where it's like, oh, but my echo chamber is better than your echo <laughs> yes. chamber. So it's okay that it's this specific side politically. It's okay that it's this specific uh, candidate politically, but really what what you're saying, Brian, is, look, we were not happy with pastors doing this for Trump in the same way we can't be happy with pastors doing this for any political yeah. party, right? Yeah. Any political person, um, because that's not the that's not the place for this to happen. Now, look, we want Christians to be involved in politics. We think churches should be politically active. There is yes. no shame in any of that. The worship service is to worship Jesus. Yeah. It is not. This is where we get so mixed up with our Christian nationalism and our Christianity. Our nationalism and our Christianity get so tied together that the nation becomes the idolatry. Political parties become yes. an idolatry. And we get so off of the fact that we are there to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. And I'm just so surprised, at least on my Twitter feed, how many people that I know decried how you know certain churches were during the Trump administration, mm-hmm. having him speak during there, having you know people at, at uh, campaign time or whatever else it might be, people who just wag, wag their finger about that, who are on my Twitter feed at least now are saying, no, but this is different. 
right. different at all. Right. And, and we can't be we can't excuse this because you might uh, think that, well, you know, this these churches have done this all the time yeah. or because I agree more with that candidate that I want to get elected. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not that's not what this is either. Aubrey, it's OK to campaign in churches. Right. And to point people in ways that your church is going to vote. Yeah. Or it's not. Yeah. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, we've got to figure out how, oh, man, like I want to say we have to get this right. But sometimes I think like we're kind of like yelling at the wind here and that this is just kind of increasingly who we are, who we are and going to happen. I get like uh, call people to the polls, call people to vote. Yes. That's f- call Christians to vote. Absolutely. If you're going to have some event. Do it after church and don't make it a church sponsored event. Away from the building. Yeah. Just get away. Yeah. We have to not be continually ameshing. And this is where we, we, we are people of the kingdom of God. There you right? go. We, fought, we have a Lord already. There but you go. That, he's political. Like we want to be involved in politics, mm-hmm. but we don't want to be used for political gain. Yeah. And that's so often what it feels mm-hmm. like on both sides of the aisle. Mm. They're going, how can we mobilize the church yeah. as if it's this monolithic thing to go get our person into office? Well, that's what it is. They're using the church. And that also feels like dirty and scheming. Yeah. yeah. And so if you, this is not a Republican or a Democrat thing, this needs to be yes. a Christian thing. This there needs to go. be a church thing. Pastors out there, please take this seriously. Let's be really, really careful. Well, coming up next, Aubrey, I saw a Twitter string this weekend. Uh, that was calling into question the commercialization of the new Chris Tomlin tour. And it got me thinking, what point do we believe it appropriate for Christian artists, authors, speakers to make money Mm. off of worship, gospel, preaching, whatever Mm -hmm. else? And at what point does it go too far? We're going to wrestle with that with you and author next here on The Common Uh Good, AM 1160, (laughs) Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for being with us today. I just heard the song, and it's in a commercial that I really like, and it almost made my mind go and forget what we were doing. So I don't know the commercial. Just the two of us, right? I'll have to think about what it is. But anyway, we're glad that you're with us today. Uh, I got into a bit of a – just reading through a Twitter thread. You okay. ever do that, and then you click – Yes, and then I'm like, what did I do with my life? Uh, Yes, okay. So uh, there was a Twitter thread going around where the person who tweeted, uh, they can remain nameless, uh, called into question uh, the VIP experiences that you can purchase for extra for Chris Tomlin's concerts, his worship tour uh, that he is now embarking on. This person wrote this. I used to really like Chris Tomlin, but this Tomlin United tour reeks of shameless commercialism I'm having trouble thinking an event offering photo ops on the stage catwalk and a, quote, intimate pre-show artist experience with Tomlin and United for a price is all about Jesus. Ugh. So that was it. And now we are at um, many likes and retweets and quote tweets and messages later. I asked this person. They did not answer. I just asked them. Honest question, do you feel the same way about Mm. authors who make sizable money off their books or well-known speakers getting paid a lot to Mm -hmm. speak at conferences? I think that's a fair question. Yeah, just wondering where you draw the line of appropriate and inappropriate. Mm. And so, Aubrey, let's try to wrestle with that a little bit. Because Chris Tomlin is making a lot of money. Sure. But we also live in America where Chris Tomlin can make a lot of money, where it's supply and demand. People like Chris Tomlin's music. They like Michael W. Smith's music or whoever else. They like... 
reading Rick Warren's books or whatever else. Aubrey Sampson's books. Exactly. With (laughs) that comes, uh, you know, compensation. Yeah. So, Aubrey, how do you wrestle with the question? Where's too much? Where does it get uncomfortable? Where is this uh, later in a reply? This person talked about uh, Jesus needing to overturn the money changers in the temple again. And that's what's going on in evangelicalism right now that. Uh, there's just commercialization of this. So how do you wrestle with this? Because I think it's an interesting topic. I don't tend to agree with this person. Yeah. Uh, but what about you? Because let's be honest, you write books. You want people to buy them. Of if course I do. If people buy them, you're going to make money. Of course. How do you wrestle with this? I mean, okay, one, I'm not making uh, Rick Warren money. So I'd, I'd like to just make that very, us, very, very clear. I don't think any of us were wondering if they okay, were. Okay, I just, you asked me it and I just want to be very glad I'm not in the, even remotely the same category. One, I want to buy a ticket to this concert. They're yes. coming to United Center. I love Chris Downland. I love Hillsong United. So I I bring that up because one, I'm a fan. So I'm, I'm for Chris Tomlin and, and Hillsong doing this. Two, I'm making the choice to buy the tickets Correct. for that. You just don't buy the ticket. Correct. Like, I, I don't know that you have to bring down all concerts anywhere. Like, this is what concerts are. People buy tickets to go hear their favorite musicians. It's a transaction. Play music. And those artists have worked very hard to do what they do to put good music in your ears so that you can either just enjoy it, dance along, or you can worship Jesus in this case, or you can... Uh, you do whatever you do with music, okay? Yeah. Um, I I guess I don't know why we wouldn't pay people the value of, of what they're giving us. I yeah. don't know why that's a problem. I, I feel like she's trying to take an argument about like uh, money in the temple, but Chris Tomlin isn't doing this as a pastor. He's not at a church saying, come pay. Yeah. I'm not, le- don't that pay, would be different. pay to be at my church. That would totally be different. Pay to sit with me at my church that I lead. Totally different conversation. Or a church that on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. Chris Tomlin's in town. He mm-hmm. says, I want to lead at renewal right. on a Sunday morning, right. but you need to charge a ticket price. That right. would be problematic. That would be problematic. This is his tour for his band and for another band like I, called United. I, I know they sing worship music, but I I disagree with her. And I, I guess I don't know what the line, except the line is maybe what we just landed on, right? Like when it becomes about church, charging people for Jesus, charging people for church experience, that's different. And again, if I was like, I mean, I want to go to this concert, but if I was a super fan, I would pay for that VIP experience because that would be cool. And I think there's a couple of things I would say to this. I think uh, I have to make a decision at this point. Do I think it's worth my money? And so this person should say, no, I'm not going to Chris yeah. Tomlin. I'm going to tell all my friends not to. Yeah. But if you think so, then that's your choice with your money. And I would say somebody like Chris Tomlin probably has to wrestle in his own soul with – we. we there, yeah. there are obviously uh, biblical warnings about money and contentment and all of this. But that's for him to wrestle with, mm. right? Like – if he can produce something that raises him a lot of money, yeah, he's gonna need to uh, he's gonna need to wrestle with that. And so I was surprised by this tweet. Yeah. I don't know that we ever write this about authors. Let's be mindful of the fact too that we don't know what he's doing with his money. He could be donating sure. thousands of dollars to charity. And it it also I don't know it reeks a, le- a little bit of legalism. Like we're getting into a weird line. I've that- just never gone to a conference say and gone. You know what? I was really blessed by what that person said, but I want to know how much money they got paid for it. Right. I, and I, and I maybe I, also, I should. Maybe others do ask maybe that question. Do. Yeah. Uh, but that's never come to my mind. Uh, I think people, 
you know, they, they pay for what they can produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what this is. Maybe you all disagree with me out here and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Aubrey, by the way, that song from an Allstate commercial. Thank you to Debbie, yeah, our producer, and, and for I letting us know. And I think it's not just the two of us. It's Lovely Day. Lovely Day by Bill Withers. There you go. Yeah. That, all the news you need here on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And as always, we're so grateful that you're with us here today. One of the things we love to do here on The Common Good is just to really talk about, dive into, share articles that Brian and I have especially found meaningful. And uh, today we're going to toot our own horns. Self-promote. A little bit. We're going to self-promote, Brian, because Brian and I have been writing articles over at Christianity Today at the Better Samaritan blog which is run by Kent Anon and Jamie Ayton. Those are two folks from the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. We've had them on the show before. And they have generously allowed Brian and I from the Common Good to partner with them to write for them regularly. And so usually what we're writing about are things we kind of talk about on the show or are passionate about. And we got to write recently about regaining mental, spiritual, and social health in a post-pandemic world. Mm. Now, let me say this. We know we're not totally a post-pandemic world yet. Post-ish. Post-ish Correct. pandemic world. But what we mean by that is just like, we, I think we've said this before, I heard another pastor say this, that um, once 9-11 happened, we mm-hmm. considered ourselves mm-hmm. a post-9-11 world. Now COVID has happened. We are now a post-COVID world. That's we a good can way to never put it. go pre-COVID. We are now post-COVID world. So that's what we mean. How do we regain mental, spiritual, and social health in a post pandemic world and one of the things that we talk about i'm just going to run down our article here brian and we can kind of unpack it for our listeners here if you want to read it it's over at christianitytoday.com but one of the things we talk about is you know just as the impact covid had on us is multi-layered so is the approach to finding health now right To, to jumping back into life and so we brought forward three initial steps that you and your community can take in order to begin picking up the pieces mentally, spiritually, even relationally after so much change. And one of the things that we talked about was beginning to lament Mm -hmm. and lament is something I'm specifically really passionate about. Brian and I've talked about lament before because he and Carrie have been through difficult things. And um, what we're, what we're sharing in this article is that, You know, though we're beginning to see the world open up again and it's fun and it's exciting. The reality is that anytime we experience trauma or suffering, our bodies keep the score. And we have been through a major collective trauma. The whole world has. And so if we want to move forward in healing, we can't really skip past all that and just Mm -hmm. pretend like nothing happened. We need to take some time to share our pain and our hurt with God, to lament communally, to lament personally, and just to say to the Lord, God, this has been really, really, really hard. And as we pour out our hearts to God like that, we will find God meeting us so that we can move forward. Yeah, and I think we skip that often, right? In churches, we want to go, hey, everything's great. Oh, God is good. And those aren't, God is good is a true statement. Yes, absolutely. Oftentimes we use it in order to kind of take what we think will take the sting off of the hard times. And sometimes... Uh, Aubrey, I'm not breaking any new ground here. The COVID pandemic has been very difficult for all of us. And <laughs> we have true. all lost, even if you haven't lost anybody like to the to the pandemic, to the disease or to the virus, or if you haven't been sick yourself, even if it has not taken physical toll on you, 
it's changed everything in terms of how we do church, how we do school. What did our kids miss over these last 18 months? How or what are they still missing? What have I missed? And in, in an opportunity for us to go, you know what? I'm going to first begin before I build back up. Let me acknowledge what is broken down. Let me mm. acknowledge what has become yeah, yeah. difficult. That's we good. as Christians uh, stereotypically do not do that well. We stereotypically skip right to the end and and don't acknowledge the pain that we're in. And I think the reality is we we can only experience true deep healing if we're willing to name the things that have hurt us. That's right. And sometimes that means just doing it privately in a journal, telling the Lord. Sometimes it means talking with your church community, like mm-hmm. even having a night of lament, all the things that have lost, all the people you've lost, all the jobs that have been lost. Sometimes it means just you talking to Jesus, like, Lord, this has been really hard. I want to move forward, but I don't want to pretend like I'm not hurt. And what you'll find is God's presence will meet you there. That's right. That's right. The right. next thing that we talk about, Brian, is seeking wise counsel. Do you want to unpack that for our listeners? Yeah. A lot of times when we're in the midst of real struggle, we need outside voices mm. to speak truth to us. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I like the use. I know we we are the ones who put it there, but I like the use of the word wise, right? Like Because you could seek counsel from anywhere. Good point. And, but, but people that you can trust, people who know you, people mm-hmm. who maybe know your situation – Uh, And so you can uh, talk to a therapist like there's there's no shame. In fact, there's great value in going and visiting uh, a professional, a therapist. But you have a friend that you really trust Uh, your pastor coming to your pastor. Who are the people that you can talk to who may not be as emotional about the circumstance you're going through? In this case, the pandemic, but it could be other stuff. Who are the people who can kind of uh, chart the course for you, help you chart the course and make, hey, here's truth. Uh, here's what's what you're believing. Here's what's true. But maybe you're, you know, maybe you're off here. Let yeah. me let me give you some words of wisdom. I think seeking not just counsel but wise counsel, people who can really help you start to move forward. I think is something that we all uh, we need. It's not just uh, we weren't meant to live on an island. Mm, hey, I'm just gonna. Good you know, kind of come up with everything on my own. Sometimes we just need outside words to tell us, hey, let me give you some wisdom here. Let me give you some counsel. One of the scriptures that we quoted on the uh, part under seeking wise counsel was Proverbs 13, 10, which says where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Mm. That's biblical. Take advice. It's biblical. From a therapist, from a safe friend, share your burden with the pastor. In so doing, you'll find strength and greater wholeness. All right. And the last point that we made is to move towards others. Yeah. There's a lot of folks right now, Brian and I see this, Brian and I, we know you're hurting. We mm-hmm. know that you're going through a hard time and it can be so easily, so easy to retreat, so easy to sort of stay in your isolation. It can be fearful to step out of that, you know, add to that a year and a half of like um, forced isolation. Mm-hmm. Then there's an understandable amount of anxiety that comes with returning to social gatherings, going to church, going to work parties. That can be really difficult but if we can take little steps toward our community, we can find healing and safe spaces within relationships and give yourself time to do that. You don't have to go yeah. to all the work events, all the concerts, all the games tomorrow. That's right. But take a small step. Invite a friend over. Uh, sit on your back porch with somebody. Return to like one of your favorite coffee shops just mm. for a little while and be kind to yourself. Don't judge yourself. Don't be mean to yourself. Be kind to yourself as you step out in bravery towards others. Yeah, we were never meant to live in isolation. Mm. And we've had to at times over the last 18 months, some people more than others. Uh, but we were ultimately never meant to live isolated. And so uh, you've got to figure out out there how you are going to kind of break free of isolation if that's where you're at right now. Is it, you know... 
online? Is it, uh, like you said, meeting people outside? Is it going to coffee shops? Is it going to parties? Whatever else it might be. But you need people in your life and you need to be in other people's lives who will encourage you, who will be there for you. Uh, We're meant to live in community. Uh, And for some of you, that means taking steps, small steps back towards community right now. Yeah, that's 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 such a good word from us. us. (laughs) It sounds a little funny to to promote ourselves, but we hope you're encouraged by that. You can learn to lament, seek wise counsel, move towards others in community and begin by doing so to untangle the layers of hurt and find hope after and even in the midst of our season Mm -hmm. of suffering. Again, you can find our article at Christianity Today at the Better Samaritan blog. Well, we're going to uh, ask kind of a difficult question when we return, Brian. Why are Christians labeled intolerant, irrelevant, oppressive, and dangerous, and how can we turn the tide? We are joined by Dr. Jim Dennison, friend of the show, to answer that question and to talk about his new book on that very topic. Stick around for that. You're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. We are so thrilled that you're with us today. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Jim Dennison. He's the co-founder and chief vision officer of the Dennison Forum. He's also the author of Respectfully, I Disagree, How to Be a Civil Person in an Uncivil Time. And we are so excited to talk to Jim today about some of his recent articles and about his upcoming book titled The Coming Tsunami. Why Christians are labeled intolerant, irrelevant, oppressive, and dangerous, and how we can turn the tide. That comes out January 25th, 2022. That is an awesome title. Jim, we're so grateful that you're with us today. (laughs) Audrey, thank you so much. So glad to be back with you and privileged to have the conversation with you today. Jim, for our listeners who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You bet. Thanks. I'm a cultural apologist. My calling is to speak biblical truth to cultural issues, helping Christians use their influence in a way that will advance the gospel in our culture. And so I write an article every day based on that day's news. goes out to about, oh, in total, we'll social about 2.2 million in audience, about 370,000 email subscribers. Then I record a lot of videos across the weeks, do a lot of media around that as well, a lot of speaking events. But the basic idea is to help us understand what's going on in the culture so we can make a difference that counts for Jesus. That's awesome. And you, Aubrey, you, you, you read his long bio, but friend of the show. That's, friend that's of the really show. high up that's there. That's right. That's really up there in the bio. And Jim, uh, we love having you on. And you got a new book coming out, as Aubrey said, called The Coming Tsunami. I guess two questions. Uh, give people a preview of the book. Kind of what's it about? And, and then why is this the topic you wanted to write on at this point in your life and in this point of a kind of where we are as a culture? Thank you for that, because that couldn't be a more critical issue for me these days. Mm. Uh, where we are right now, guys, I'm convinced, is we are starting to see the rise of a kind of opposition to cultural Christianity in American society on an unprecedented level. Mm. We're using tsunamis as kind of the model here. Uh, offshore earthquakes you didn't see, underwater earthquakes are causing the tsunami that you do. March 11, 2001, there was an earthquake 45 miles off the shore of Japan. You didn't see it at the time, but it caused tsunamis that killed nearly 16,000 people, mm. destroyed 120,000 structures and homes. Well, that's what I think is happening today, whether it's the Equality Act, whether it's the rise of LGBTQ championing and the way that we're being castigated as, as homophobic and bigoted mm. and prejudiced, narrow-minded, all that. 
we're seeing a rising opposition to the Christian faith that we need to know about. So in the book, I identify the four earthquakes, the underwater earthquakes, that are contributing to what we're facing and what we're going to be facing, and then we look at positive ways that we can turn the tide in a way that will advance the gospel today. Mm. And Dr. Dennison, do you mind sharing one or two of those earthquakes, or are you spoiling the book too much if you do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, happy to do that. The point is to sell the book, it's to really get the idea out there, get the message mm-hmm. out there. So thanks for that opportunity. The first of the earthquakes I identify is really an attack on biblical truth. It goes back to the 1960s and postmodern relativism, which goes all the way back to Immanuel Kant. But it's nonetheless the idea. Truth is how your mind interprets your senses. So your mind isn't mine. Your senses aren't mine. So there can be no such thing as absolute truth. Mm. We're told all the time, truth is what I believe it to be. You have your truth, I have my truth. 92% of Americans say they are their own sole determiner of moral truth. Mm. Well, that turns the Bible into a diary of religious experience. That means your truth is yours, mine is mine, and you have no right to inflict your ideas on me. Well, that leads to a second earthquake, we can call it, and that's an attack on biblical morality. In the 1960s as well, the so-called sexual revolution, the normalization and legalization of same-sex behavior, what mm-hmm. we're seeing around abortion, mm-hmm. what we're seeing around gender uh, identity, sexual orientation issues, the Equality Act, all of that, and the belief that Christians are outdated, irrelevant, and intolerant. Yeah. Well, a third earthquake is critical theory. It, it gets applied as critical race theory, but critical theory behind that is the idea that a majority position is always oppressing the minority. Mm. So if white Christians are in the majority, then we must be oppressors. It's an attack on Christian witness. And then the fourth earthquake is where is this rising secular replacement ideology that says religion is dangerous. Mm. Religion flies planes into buildings. Religion causes 9-11s and clergy abuse scandals and Mm. spends money on buildings instead of people in heaven rather than earth. Well, all that gets combined. Mm. The first four chapters really outline and kind of explain all that. All that gets combined into the tsunami we're facing those days for which we need to be ready. Oh, that's great, Jim. And uh, so understanding kind of the the cultural dynamics at play there, you then in the in the title, you say, and how we can turn the tide. I'm really interested in that. Like, what, what are you calling the church and we as individuals too that can help, uh, as you say, turn the tide? Yeah, thank you, Brian. It starts with Ephesians 5.18, being filled with the Spirit, being submitted to the Holy Spirit. It's a decision every single day to let Jesus be God of me, let Him be mm-hmm. Lord of me, because only God can change human hearts. Yeah. Only God can convict of sin and save souls. And We need a spiritual awakening desperately in the face of all that. Well, that starts with me. I remember the old evangelist, Gypsy Smith, who was asked how revival starts. He says, take a child, draw a circle around yourself, get on your knees, pray till everything inside that circle is right with God, and revival will be upon us. Wow. So first of all, get right with God myself. Second, surrender my influence to the Lord, Mm. where I'm able to say to people, look, this is why I believe the Bible is the Word of God. This is why I believe biblical morality is best. And this is why we're not oppressors, but rather Christians are part of the solution, not the problem. Mm. I have to live that out personally. I have to show other people the relevance of the Christian faith in my life before I can ask them to consider the relevance of the Christian faith in their life. Mm. And so I have to be willing to live my influence effectively. And then third, do this in community. If you take the coal out of the fire, it goes out. 
keep it with other coals that stays lit. Mm -hmm. I'm calling for a resurgence of commitment to Christian community and the kind of church engagement that really flies in the face of the individualistic existentialism of our day, where people go to church as consumers for what they get out of it. We need to be going to church for what we can give to God through this body of believers. What can my church do together we can't do separately? What can our churches together do Mm. that we can't do separately? How can we model the community our culture so desperately seeks today? That's the question I think we need to be asking. Oh, it's so powerful, Jim. And then, you know, we know tsunamis can't be stopped, especially <laughs> once they start going. Do you think it's too late or, or there's an opportunity to begin to stop some of these moral tsunamis that you're writing about? Yeah, very profound question, because you're right, in a physical sense, that is the case. The good news, as we all know, and as those hearing us, I'm sure, would believe, it's never too late for God. It's always too soon to give up on the Lord. In fact, just the opposite can be true. I've been a student of spiritual awakenings across American history, 1734, 1792, 1858, 1904, and five. The four great awakenings we've experienced, everyone was preceded by desperation. Mm. Everyone was preceded by earthquakes that were creating tsunamis that was causing people to turn back to God with a new level of passion and desperation and community, and that's what we need today. So if we'll see the tsunami that we're facing as God's invitation to dependence on His Spirit, then God can use that to birth the spiritual awakening we need so much. I often say God redeems all He allows. One of the ways I believe God wants to redeem the crisis of this day is by using it to call His people back to Himself on a level of dependence that really could birth the awakening we need. Oh, amen. I love that perspective, Jim. And can people go ahead and pre-order your book now? They certainly can. They can go to our website, dennisinformed.org, where they'll see a link to it. But they can also Google the coming tsunami. Mm-hmm. They can just put those words into a mm-hmm. search engine, and they will see not only the landing page there where they can order the book, but they will also see some other resources that we're putting together around this, around the crisis, and the challenge that's out there for us. Fantastic. And so, yeah, if people will go to that, they can pre-order from Amazon or wherever they get their books. Dr. Jim Dennison is the co-founder and chief vision officer of the Dennison Forum, author of Respectfully, I Disagree, How to Be a Civil Person in an Uncivil Time. And of course, this upcoming book we've been talking about, which you can pre-order now, The Coming Tsunami. One of the things I want to talk to you about, Jim, is the life and influence of Colin Powell, who passed away today. We were so sad to hear that. And you recently wrote about some things you learned from Colin Powell. Can you talk to us about him? Happy to do that. Yeah, I was shocked as as you were when we saw this on the news at 84 years of age. Died of COVID complications. He was fully vaccinated, but he was also struggling with multiple myeloma, Mm -hmm. which had really significantly lowered his immune response and made him, unfortunately, someone who could more likely deal with this. Mm -hmm. But what a life, what a legacy. And so I wrote my article today, kind of a special edition we got out this morning uh, after his uh, death, but out of an event that I experienced with him some years ago. I attended a leadership conference in which he was one of the speakers. And even though that's been years, I was marked by who he was and what he was that day. And so I wrote an article on humility. Mm -hmm. That was his theme that day for leaders, with the importance of staying humble, of always wanting to learn, of always wanting to improve, of learning from others, of serving others, of being a servant leader. That was his theme. But that was not only what he said, it was what he did. And that's what really impressed me. For instance, when he came up on the stage, he was introduced, there was a bio that was read about him by one of the staff members that was putting on the event. He thanked that staff member by name. Mm. He was the only speaker all day to do that. 
Aww. He then, by name, thanked the other staff members, part of the organization that had invited him and helped with logistics and preparation and all of that. After his talk, he did a Q&A with the crowd. No one else did that. Wow. Each person that asked a question, he asked them their name, and he talked with them by name as though they were the only person in the crowd. And then when he was done, he stayed behind to speak with people and to shake hands. Mm. So here is a four-star general, mm. one of the most decorated war heroes in American history, wow. who has served as chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, America's top soldier, Secretary of State, as well as National Security Advisor, often rumored to be a presidential candidate, mm-hmm. but we chose not to do that, modeling the kind of humility he was calling us into. And so I was just marked by that, and I wanted to write about him that way. That was one of the points I made in my article this morning. That's great. And, Jim, it feels like that is lacking in our kind of leadership landscape, unfortunately, in politics, but also in the church oftentimes or in other places. Help us uh, understand what is the result on a positive side of people who lead in that way. And when we don't have leaders, you wrote a book about civility, right? Respectfully, I disagree. Mm -hmm. If if we have leaders that don't lead in that way in the highest office or at the you know head of a church or whatever else, what kind of detrimental results happen to us culturally? Yeah, Brian, that's a perceptive question. And you're right about that. Christian and Christian leaders are in no sense immune from this issue. Mm. You and I have grown up, and I'm 63 years old, and I'm old enough to have grown up in a culture that really magnifies the self-made man, the hero, the look-out-for-number-one kind of uh, tight-fisted CEO, you know, Uh, the big personality, the charismatic leader. There was a day when no one knew who the head of IBM was Mm -hmm. or the multinationals. Now those things are really profiles. Rubal Levin's talked about that, about how corporations have become platinum forms for personal celebrity. I don't mean to cast stones, but it's the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos right. or the uh, Stephen Jobs, you know, are kind of the models that people are aspiring to. And that's true in church life. There was a day when pastors were seen as shepherds of sheep. Mm-hmm. Now they're seen as ranchers or CEOs of corporations, uh, as people that really preach on Sunday but are unavailable during the week. And to your question, when we model that kind of leadership, We send some signals that are, I think, completely inappropriate to the gospel. First of all, we send a signal that some people are more more important than others, Mm -hmm. that a pastor will meet with some but not others, that some are worthy of their time and not others. For the Bible says it's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Well, all Abraham's seed and heirs according to the covenant. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us, Mm -hmm. Augustine said. Mm -hmm. And we need to model that. Mm. And then a second point we need to make is that all of us are beggars helping beggars find bread. But the gospel is needed for everybody because everybody is lost. Everybody is a sinner. And apart from the gospel, none of us have eternity. It's only because of God's grace. So if we're grace givers and grace receivers, if we model community and service, we're following Jesus' example who washed the feet of the very disciples who would abandon him and betray him Mm -hmm. and deny him. Years ago, I heard a preacher say, in light of that text in John 13, when you see Jesus one day, he won't ask about your title. He will ask about your towel. Mm. And I found that to be profound. That's good. Oh, that's so good. One of the other stories that Brian and I have been keeping up on and talking about is the stories of the missionaries kidnapped in Haiti. You posted something just today, an update on God's call to courage. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, Jim? Yeah, these are missionaries in Haiti, 17 of them, 16 American, one Canadian, families involved in this. Sixteen mm. and, and one made up of five men, seven women, five children. Mm. So 
uh, for years. Haiti has been in turmoil. There was an assassination of the president earlier this year. There was the terrible earthquake in August. And so gangs, from what we're reading, are pretty much in many ways ruling society there. And so they're seeing kidnappings on an unprecedented level, kidnappings for ransom. Wow. According to the report in the Washington Post, these are doctors, preachers, entire busloads of people, even police on patrol that have been kidnapped and held for ransom by these criminal gangs. And so it was Saturday that a call for help was posted in a WhatsApp group that was crying out, please pray for us. We're being held hostage. Mm. They kidnapped our driver. Pray, pray, pray. We don't know where they're taking us. It was a missionary group in Haiti that was kidnapped. We've not yet, at least last I have heard, heard the ransom demand yet, although it's expected that that will come soon. Mm. And Jim, I've heard a lot of different reactions to that story. We've all led and been on mission trips and done stuff like that. Should this make those of us in the United States rethink going overseas on missions trips, whether it be for a long amount of time or for a week? What, what, how should we as the American church respond to what we saw in the news today? Yeah, good question. First thing is to recognize that no place is safe. Well, I live in mm. Dallas. It's not safe. We have crime every day on our streets. And just getting on the tollway is a religious experience. <laughs> 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 There's more praying because they're, you're on the tollway, and uh-huh. all that kind of goes with that. So that's the first thing. No place is act, actually safe. Biblically speaking, on a second level, God sometimes calls us into danger, just like he sometimes calls us away from it. Yeah. You think of Peter and the apostles that refused to stop preaching even at the peril of their lives, you think of Paul and Acts that insisted on returning to Jerusalem even after he was warned of the danger that awaited? You think of Jesus warning his disciples three times that he would die in the holy city. On the other hand, we read in Matthew 4 that earlier in his ministry, when he heard John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. We read in Acts 9 that when the Jews in Damascus plotted to kill Paul, his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So there are times... God calls us away from danger. At times he calls us into danger. The key is to follow the Spirit. Mm, that's the key right. is to be so surrendered to the Spirit that before you take that mission trip, you're praying, Lord, I don't want to be presumptuous here. I don't want to go someplace you don't want me to go and just presume on your protection. Mm. On the other hand, I don't want to be fearful here. Mm. I know that I can trust you. Someone said the safest place in all the world to be is the center of the will of God. Mm. And so, God, I want to trust you that you're calling me into these dangerous places, that you'll redeem whatever happens there. So it's a daily trusting and leading and surrendering to a spirit. I've been part of 10 mission trips in Cuba. I spent a good deal of time in the Muslim world and in the Far East. Spent a summer serving as a missionary on the island of Borneo, where we're in some pretty dangerous places. And at the end of the day, you really have to ask God and trust God and know that God will lead if we will follow. Mm. Oh, so I feel like that's a life lesson for all of us, Jim. Thanks so much for being here today, and thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom with us. We always appreciate your time. Aubrey, it's my privilege to be with you and Brian today. I'm grateful for you and for what you do. God Thanks, bless. Jim. Thanks. You can learn more about Jim and the Denison Forum at denisonforum.org and connect with him on Twitter at Jim Denison. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.